are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a bi-weekly podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I studied history and tour guiding, and I live in Palestine with my Palestinian husband and children. I'm originally from the Netherlands. I am a licensed tour guide by the Palestinian Authority. And yes, you can hire me for tours. Follow me on social media and visit my website to learn more about organized tours and programs. You can find the links in the show notes. I hope you will enjoy listening to this episode. For this week's podcast episode, I would like to take you to the Mediterranean coast, to one of the cities that is not very often visited by tourists. I think it is more often visited by locals, but it is actually a very beautiful place. And the name of the place is Askalan in Arabic and Ashkelon in Hebrew. And why is it one of my favorite places? Because you have this beautiful combination of the seaside, the sea view. You have places where you can enter the beach. But in the same time, it is a national park with beautiful park area, trees. And if you come in the spring season, it's beautiful green and lots of flowers. And there is a very long history. And of that history, you have quite a lot of archaeological remains that you can see in the park. You can make a picnic, you can just enjoy the view, and if you are a history nerd like I am, you can really enjoy reading up and visiting all those different spaces and sites in this park. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a historical overview of this place, and then uh, tell you what you can see there, and maybe it will tempt you in your next visit to go and visit Ascalan. Let's first look at the name. Ascalan or Ashkelon may come from the same root letters as the word shekel. And you will know the word shekel now as the currency that is being used here. But the shekel was actually a unit of weight that was used in ancient times. And it is not surprising that they would use this name for a port city like Ashkelon or Askelan was, because a lot of trade was coming through this port and they would all the time be weighing the goods and the products to decide the prices and decide on the taxes. So the root letters Shekel, Ashkelan, Askelan may have a connection. It seems that the first people who lived in this area lived here about 10,000 years ago. It wasn't a city yet, but they have done findings in excavations that show that people were already settling here on the coast about 10,000 years ago. But the first real city that formed and built here and that we can find big remains of is the Canaanite period city of Ascalan, which is about the period of 2000 to 1500 before Christ. And in that time, the city was already very big. The length of the city was about 1,100 meters from north to south along the coast. And it was about 600 meters wide. 
And around all that city, there was an actual city wall. And part of that city wall you can still see today because they have excavated part of the wall and they have excavated a gate. And that is the oldest city gate in the world that has been excavated there in Ascalan. I did mention to you in a previous podcast episode about another very old ancient Canaanite city gate that dates from around the same period. We don't know which gate was built earlier, one or the other, but that was in Tel Dan. The difference though is that in Tel Dan, the gate is closed. You can't walk through the gate, but here it is an actual open functioning gate and you can walk through the gate as if you are going up into the Canaanite city. The wall that was built around it, the Canaanite wall, is not a straight wall, a vertical wall, but it is what we call a glacis. And these walls were built with a bit of an incline and that made the wall even stronger because that incline would protect the base of the wall so that when enemies attacked the walls that the walls would stand for much longer to protect the people who were inside the city. They also found that Askelan was mentioned in an Egyptian source in Karnak on the Merneptah Ba relief. It is mentioned that Askelan was a fortified city under Egyptian rule because the land of Canaan was for a long time under the Egyptian rule. But from that period they did not find a lot of artifacts. Only a few artifacts were found and not really any remains of the fortifications of the time of the Egyptians. But then during the Iron Age period, which is around which starts around 1200 before Christ, Ascalon becomes part of the five main Philistine cities, the Pentapolis. If you know Greek, then you know that Penta means five and polis is city. And the five main Philistine cities were Gaza, Ascalon, Asdod, Ekron and Gath. And Gath is sometimes pronounced in different ways by different people who speak different languages, but it is today's excavated site of Tel Asafi. And the Philistines, they were probably a sea peoples that came from the Aegean Sea and that landed on the coast and from there started to make their way into the land of Canaan, but were by the Egyptians somehow maintained or contained on the coastal area. And of course, we know them from the biblical accounts of the Israelites fighting the Philistines. There are also people who would claim that the Philistines did not come from outside of the land, but they were Canaanites who already lived in the land. But definitely their main focus, and when we find pottery that is dedicated to them and some of their burial practices, they are close to the Mediterranean Sea. That's where they had at least their center. And we read uh, in the Bible, in the book of Samuel, the second book of Samuel, that when David hears about the death of Saul, King Saul, and his son Jonathan in the battle of Gilboa, after that they hang the bodies of Saul and Jonathan on the walls of Beit Shan, of Skitopolis. 
you will also see that there's often two names for the cities here. If we talk about the history, we have the Hebrew or the Aramaic name, and then you have the Greek name. So Beit is the same as Skitopolis. When the bodies of Saul and Jonathan were hanged on the outside of the wall, David says, tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ascalan, lest the daughters of the Philistines be glad, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised rejoice. So he doesn't want the news to spread among the Philistines that the king of the Israelites has died. Ascalan is also linked to another biblical story. From the book of Judges, we read that the judge Samson, who was a very, very strong man, he had struck down 30 Philistines. He took all their clothing uh, because he had to pay a group of men who had solved a riddle at his wedding. And they had solved it not because they knew the answer, but because his new wife had actually told it to the Philistine. She was Philistine herself. And then he gets very angry and he kills 30 Philistines to take their clothes and to pay with that the man that solved the riddle. So that is also related to Ascalam. And then we also know from biblical accounts and from other extra biblical accounts that during the Iron Age II period, which is a little bit later, when Ascalam was still a Philistine city, they had a ruler called Zetka, and Zetka joined the king of Judah, who was ruling from Jerusalem, King Hezekiah. He joined him in an alliance against the Assyrian king, King Sennacherib. And then King Sennacherib decided to attack Ascalan, and he replaced King Zetka with a new ruler. Ascalan still continued to exist. But then, in 604 BC, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar arrived and he exiled their king and destroyed the city. And that is when Philistine Ascalan ceased to exist. But it is rebuilt in the next period. And the next period is called the Persian period. And during that period, Ascalan starts to flourish again. Now, the Persians, they didn't have boats. They wanted to have a port. It would be good to have access to the Mediterranean, but they were not a seafaring nation. So they befriended the Phoenicians. The Phoenicians had their main cities, Tyre and Sidon, in the north, in what is today Lebanon. And they invited them to inhabit some of the coastal cities in return, they would give them access with their ships and their boats to the global trade that was happening. And what is interesting is that during excavations in the area of Ascalan, they found a dog burial, a cemetery, where they found about a thousand buried Saluki dogs. Now, apparently it was a Phoenician custom to bury dogs together. We don't know exactly why they did that. It is thought that it, maybe there was an importance or they thought it was part of some kind of a healing rituals. There are some other places where they found dog burial. For example, in Jerusalem, in Silwan, 
they did find a dog burial site, but not as big as this one with a thousand dogs. But it is quite interesting to see this kind of find from that period. After the Persian period, we get into the Hellenistic period after Alexander the Great conquered Palestine. And in that period, we see that Ascalan started to mint its own coins. And that means that by that time, it was an independent city because they had their own coins, their own currency. Then Ascalan really reached its heydays in the Roman period. It really became a regional commercial center. And the area of the city was, again, as big as it was in the Canaanite time. So the city had shrunk a little bit, but now it became big again. And when the Romans decided to build a new wall around the city, they actually used the glacis wall of the Canaanites to build the Roman wall on top of it. Outside of the city walls, there were also some farmhouses. And that is because there's also a lot of fresh water easily available because the sweet water, the rainwater that comes down to the lowest point towards the sea, at this point starts to float above the salty water down in the ground. So I'm talking about the groundwater. The sweet water is lighter and will stay above the salt water. So it was on a high level and it was very easy to dig a well and you will also see when you walk through the park you will see several of those wells and I'll talk a little bit more about it but those farmhouses around they used to grow different things grains vegetables and they would have some date plants and grapes but they also grew a special kind of onion and it is thought that the name Scallion actually derives from the name of the city Ascalan. From Ascalan, the special onions called Scallion. They are also known as green onions or spring onions, if you don't recognize the word Scallion. But they come as a kind of leek or shallot. It looks a little bit like a small bulb and then from it you have green leaves growing directly from the bulb. So, scallion from Ascalan. During excavations, they found, of course, a Roman bathhouse because all Roman cities used to have Roman bathhouses. But something creepy, they found a number of baby skeletons in the sewage pipes close to the Roman bathhouse. And the majority of these skeletons were of boys. Now, it is thought that there may have been a brothel close to the bathhouse, which was quite common in Roman times. And the prostitutes who became pregnant would deliver the baby. And if it was a girl, they would keep the girl so she can grow up in the brothel and later follow up her mom in the same profession. But if it was a boy, they wanted to get rid of it. So that's how they explain this really creepy finding of the baby skeletons in the sewage pipes. And then we reach the Byzantine period, the Byzantine period when the country is Christian, the emperors have become Christian, Christian rule. And in that period, Ascalan becomes famous for the trade of very fine wines. And also Ascalan is depicted on the Madaba map. I've mentioned the Madaba map before. It is a mosaic map that was found in a church 
in Madaba in Jordan, the St. George Church, and it depicts all the important Christian holy sites in the Holy Land in the 6th century. And so Ascalan is also mentioned on that map as an important site. In the 7th century, Ascalan fell under Muslim rule and the Muslims fortified the city again. And then in the 11th century, some centuries later, Ascalan got a very special status among certain Muslims because they believe that the head of Hussein ibn Ali, which is the son of Ali, who was one of the relatives of Prophet Muhammad, who was killed in a battle, that his head was brought here and a shrine was built for Hussein ibn Ali. Until today, there are Muslims, especially from India, who are coming to visit the site of the mosque that was built in Ascalan. But the mosque itself was destroyed in 1950 by the IDF, the Israeli military. And Moshe Dayan took direct responsibility for it. They blew it up. It was a part of a broader operation that included two additional mosques, one in Yavna and one in Ashdod. And today the old mosque site is built over by the Barzilai hospital. But inside the hospital there is now a shrine with a mihrab, with a prayer niche, that is visited mainly by Indian pilgrims who are of the Shiite Ismaili sect. So after the Muslim period, we have the Crusaders, and the Crusaders managed to besiege Ascalan by building five citadels on the entrance roads around the city. So they built five citadels, one in Beit Gvrin, one in Yavna, one in Talsafi, one in Deir al-Balah, and one in Gaza, and all the entrance roads to Ascalan were then blocked, which meant that at some point the Fatimids had to surrender to the Crusaders, and that happened in the year 1153, and so the Crusaders now took over Ascalan. But not for a very long time, because Salah ad-Din took Ascalan from the Crusaders, and then he partially destroyed the wall and the city because he wanted to prevent that the city would fall back into the hands of the crusaders. And that is what happened a lot in this period. First with the Ayyubids, with Salah Din and the Ayyubids and later also the Mamluks. They were so afraid that the crusaders will come back and reconquer their fortresses and then have again a base from where they could establish themselves that they would destroy those places so that they could not be used anymore. After the Ayyubid period, after the Salahuddin period, we have the Mamluk period, and in that period, a new town is founded, and the town is called Majdal, and it was a bit east of the ancient Ascalan. And in the 19th century, Majdal was turned into a center for weaving industry. It was very famous. The Egyptian ruler Muhammad Ali, who ruled over Palestine between 1831 and 1840, really supported Majdal and it became an important place. But in 1948, 
this Palestinian village was destroyed as many other, about 500 Palestinian villages were destroyed and the people were forcibly displaced. So Majdal became a depopulated town. And then after 1948, they established the new city that they called Ashkelon, just a little bit north of the national park with the ancient ruins of the ancient city. And this has about 120,000 residents today. So we've been through the history and of course we could only mention few of the important events that happened. But what can you see if you visit this national park? So when you enter into the park, you can either go directly to the right and then up to the gate, the Canaanite city gate, or you can continue into the park, park your car and do most of it walking from there. There is public bathrooms there that you can use. And I would say you can do most of it walking. If you're in good condition, it is really simple to walk from there and, and visit all the, the different sites. So when you are at the central parking, you will be close to the Roman Basilica. So let's start from there. It is the most impressive and largest classical building that was found in the country, dating back to the late Roman period, which is the 2nd and the 3rd century AD. So what's a basilica? Basilica are public buildings. They were usually meant for administrative functions, but also for meetings. And probably the city council would meet here, the bulletarion. The word basilica comes from the Greek word for king, basileus. So it gives the feeling of a royal building. And the way that a basilica was built was usually with a large middle nave. And on either side, you had aisles. Could be on either side one aisle or could be two aisles. But these were divided not by walls, but by columns. So even though you had different sections, you could look into each section because it was kind of open. And here in the National Park of Ascalan, they have actually erected some of the columns that they found that were lying down and they reorganized them in the shape of the basilica. And the columns, they have beautiful capitals. The capital is the piece between the column and holding up the architrave, which is the horizontal beam. And these capitals are in the Corinthian style. Now, the Romans had different styles and it was very important that you would use on the same level, construction level of a building, always the same style, not to mix it. So you had the more simple Doric style, and then you had the Ionic style with the volutes on the outside, sort of wing shapes. And then here we see the Corinthian capitals. And Corinthian capitals are decorated with the acanthus leaf. So if you know the acanthus, it's a beautiful big plant and the leaves have a particular shape and those were the inspiration for the Corinthian capitals. The basilica itself, by the way, was big, 100 meters in length and about 35 meters wide. They found also a lot of statues. They actually call it a graveyard of statues. They brought all these statues back to the place where they think they belonged. So 
in situ. And the marble for these statues did not come from Palestine because Palestine doesn't have marble. It was imported from West Turkey, from Greece and from Italy. And the Romans were the only ones who had enough money and power to bring so much marble from abroad. Even Herod the Great did not use marble. The statues are reconstructed and we can see that they represent Roman deities. The statue in the middle is a winged lady. She is standing on a globe that is held by Atlas. And this is the goddess Nike. She is the goddess of victory, Victoria. Her face is damaged, maybe by later people, maybe as a protest against the Roman representations of the gods, in the kind of iconoclasm. And to her right, we see another statue, also of Nike or Nike, holding a palm branch. And the other goddess that is depicted is an Egyptian goddess called Isis. And here she is appearing in the form of Tige, and that is the city's goddess of fortune. She's wearing a crown and holding a priest of the Egyptian god Serapis. So very important set of statues that have been brought back in situ. That's what I wanted to say about the basilica. If you walk back towards the parking area, then you will pass by a water wheel and a well. And I mentioned before that the sweet water, the rainwater that comes from the eastern highlands, forms an underground sort of aquifer, a coastal aquifer, and the sweet water floats on top of the salt water. So it's a phenomenon that exists all over the coastal region and it makes it easy to pump up sweet water close to the sea. Today it doesn't work anymore because today there is a lot of overpumping of water which means that more salty water manages to enter and mix with the sweet water and so it is more of a brackish water today so not good for human consumption but in those days they had about 60 wells in the area and in order to get the water from the sweet water table, they used a water wheel and they called it the Antilia. So how would they operate this Antilia? It was operated by animal power. A camel or a donkey would help raising the water from the well by moving a horizontal beam. And to this horizontal beam, a cogwheel was attached. And the horizontal cogwheel would move a vertical cogwheel that in turn would move a kind of conveyor belt, which was a chain to which clay jars or wooden boxes were attached that could reach into the well. And then these jars or boxes, these containers, would bring up the water from the well and then they would pour it into a channel that was connected to a pool. The pool would fill up. And from there you could have irrigation channels for farming or you could have the animals drink from the water or you could scoop the water with a jug and use it at home. Now next to this well there is a big tree, it's a sycamore tree. And this tree that is also called in Latin the Ficus sycomorus is like a bit of a 
mixture between a mulberry and a fig tree. It looks like figs, the fruits that grow on it, but they are smaller. And they grow on clusters that are attached to the bark of the tree. The taste is a bit sweeter than the common fig. It's very aromatic. And the leaves of the sycamore tree are like the tree leaves of the mulberry tree. And this tree is mentioned in the Bible at least twice. In the book of Amos, we can read that Amos says, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. And in the New Testament, we can read in the book of Luke that the tax collector Zacchaeus, who was a very short man, climbs in a sycamore tree in Jericho because he wants to see Jesus who is passing by with a crowd of people and because he was so short, he couldn't see anything. So he climbs up on the sycamore tree. It's funny that the flowers of this tree are pollinated in the same way as the fig tree by the help of the wasp, the fig wasp. So now let me take you to the most important site in this park, which is the Canaanite Gate. And on our way to the Canaanite Gate, we will first pass by a wall that was built in the Fatimid period. So that is in a later period, in the 10th century. And this wall is a glacis. The glacis is a fortified wall that has an angle, it's slanting a bit, and around it there is a dry moat. The reason to build this way was to expand the base of the wall. If the enemy would try to dig tunnels to breach the wall, what they would do was to base wooden poles under it and then burn the poles to try and to collapse the wall. This would be much harder to do because of the much wider base of the wall. And also the soldiers on the towers would be able to see the enemy now trying to climb on these glaciers. And the other reason is that a battering ram that was often used to try to bridge the wall is useless on a glacier wall. Only brick walls can be rammed with a battering ram. So bricks were only used on the higher parts of the wall, but the lower part of the wall would not be made of bricks, but would be made of earth and it would be slanting or sloping. Now, the first gate that were built here, the Canaanite gate, very close to the shore, were built around 4,000 years ago in the Middle Bronze Age time. As we arrive to see the gate and to see the very, very old ancient city wall, we see next to the gate a stone structure that is a reconstruction of the wall. It covers the original Canaanite glacis. So there is a part of the wall that has been reconstructed. And then all future fortifications were based on this Canaanite wall. So they were built on top of it. What did they use? They used sun-dried mud bricks. And why was this gate, this Canaanite gate, so well preserved? That is because it was covered by other walls and gates, and therefore it was protected from the elements, from the wind and from the water, from the sun. It's the same story as the gate at Tel Dan, by the way. Some scholars believe that the gate of Ascalan is older, about a hundred years older, 
and therefore it is considered to be the oldest brick wall gate with an arch in the world. What's also interesting to mention, by the way, is that near this Canaanite gate, they found a cultic artifact. They found a jar that has a small opening and they found a small statue of a calf. It was a bronze statue that was overlaid with silver. You can now see it at the Israel Museum. And probably this calf or bull is related to the fertility god of the Canaanites, Baal. It is assumed that there may have been a shrine at the city gate where people would pray for protection when they went on a longer journey or when they came back to the city and they had a safe trip that they could then thank and worship the god for the success, for the safety of their trip. So this figurine you can now see at the Israel Museum. Now when we get closer to the Canaanite gate, you can see that the base of the gate is not made of mud bricks, but it is kurkar. And what is kurkar? Kurkar is when the sand of the dunes petrifies, when it becomes stone. And this kurkar is a very common building material along all the coasts. It's a local building material. It's based on sand and because of the rain and the wind, it hardens and becomes sandstone, a petrified sandstone. They used it as the solid base, the rock, and then they would build the mud bricks on it. And as I said, the big difference with the gate in Tel Dan is that we can actually walk through this gate. And if you do that, if you walk through the gate, then you would reach into the Canaanite city. And on the other side, we can then see the mosaic floor of a Roman villa. And these kind of villas were called the Villa Rustica, or a rural villa. They were mansions for the Roman elites in less densely populated areas. So here on the outskirt of the city, in a beautiful area overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, a rich Roman family had their villa, and we can still see the mosaic floor of that villa. And then we continue up, and there is a great lookout here over the sea, over the Mediterranean Sea, and there is another path that can take you on the sand dunes, and you can start a nice circular path that will take you around all the park. And when we were there last time, we brought our own picnic and we spent some time on the beach. We walked around the park, we had a picnic and we had a lovely day in Askelan. And so I really recommend a visit. There is more to see because I didn't mention the church. There is the remains of the St. Marie Veridis church, which is a 5th century Byzantine church. It was ruined in the 10th century and then it was restored again by the Crusaders in the 12th century. And you can still see some remains of frescoes that were discovered on the walls, depicting saints holding scrolls with Greek inscriptions. So that is another thing that you can see. And then you can also walk over part of the old city wall that seems to be a sand dune now, but the sand is just blown up on 
the old city walls and you can have a great lookout from the eastern side of the national park. So you can do a whole walk around the, the national park, around the site. So you can easily spend a beautiful day in Askalan National Park. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. You know, producing this podcast takes a lot of time and there are also costs for hosting the podcast, for the website and some of the subscriptions related to online recording and editing. So if you enjoy listening to Stories from Palestine, which is available completely for free, then you can do a donation on the Kofi platform and that is really very helpful even if it's just a little contribution. Because if all listeners do that once in a while, then I can continue producing new episodes. It's very easy. Just click the link in the show notes right after this message. And I hope you will listen again to the next episodes.